I mean, there's some books by professional service firm leaders, and that's helpful in some sense, but I learn a lot more from people that are in completely different industries than I am. And then I try to figure out, well, how can I apply that to what we're dealing with? And I think that real growth happens there. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey, welcome to the show today. Uh, For those following the saga, this past Saturday, I succeeded in my attempt to run 50 miles. So 50 mile trail run, done. So I will, in a future uh, episode, I'll, I'll share some thoughts on that. That was pretty epic. And frankly, I am still processing it. So we'll, uh, at a future time, we'll get into that. But I want to introduce you to our guest today, uh, here where we're getting towards the end of season 14. And joining us today is Tim Lupinacci, who is the CEO and chair at Baker Donaldson, which is one of the top 100 law firms in the country, where he leads over 1,300 individuals in 22 offices across the southeastern U.S. Tim's presently leading the firm's five-year Baker Vision 2028 strategy and its diversity and inclusion compact, which I know we're going to learn more about today. A lifelong leadership student, Tim recently launched a nonprofit called Everybody Leads, focused on empowering individuals and underserved communities with basic leadership skills and confidence to better lead themselves, others, and in the community. Tim, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. David, I'm so thrilled to be here. I've already gained so much knowledge from listening to you and the podcast uh, in prior episodes, so I'm honored to be here. And I'm just, wow, on the 50-mile run. I've done (laughs) nine marathons, and I've had colleagues say, well, you can push it to a 50K or a 50-miler, and I'm saying there's no way I can do it. So I really uh, admire you. Uh, well, thank you. It's, uh, it was one of those things that, uh, and I talk about every once in a while on the show, but yeah, I, first marathon I did in Philadelphia. And then I got to the end of that and went, I had to walk back to the hotel. I'm like, I still got some legs left. And I'm not a speed, I'm not a speed demon or anything. I'm, I'm definitely the endurance, um, camp. So I was like, I got some more left. I might as well try something longer and did a 50 K last year. Ah, well, let's see what's next. <laughs> so, well, so you actually, you, uh, I, two of my marathons that I did were in Philadelphia. So you made it back from this along the Schuylkill river and oh, then you're yeah. walking back as I did the same thing, walking to the hotel. Although I was not feeling energized to go do more at that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, you probably were, were went faster than I did. So that's, no. <laughs> that's, there's, there's a trade-off there. It's just, it's your speed by anyway. Yeah. So, and we could talk about that for a while. Well, Tim, to, to, so now we know a little bit about you. You're a marathoner. <laughs> so we've learned that much. Um, take us back to your earliest. I know you've listened to the show, so you know where I'm gonna, what I'm going to ask here. Um, to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader. Like how far back are you going to go? What's one of your earliest memories of yourself as a leader? You know, it's really interesting because I've thought about that question a lot. And um, a lot of my journey ends up with people speaking leadership into me, like that made me think about it. And so uh, this is something that my mom has said from as little as I can remember, when I was young, as I can remember saying, the day I held you when you were born, I knew you were going to be somebody great. You were going to be a leader. Um, and of course, you know, I've had to do some therapy because did I meet her expectations? <laughs> but that's another story we may get into. Um, so, but she, she kind of talked, spoke that into me a lot. And, um, so I guess that's the earliest memory of leadership. And then it's kind of interesting because I did things on and off. We moved around a lot, so I never really plugged in to grow like in a leadership role of a organization at school or whatever. Um, but then when I was applying to college, I got actually landed a leadership scholarship. 
And I thought, I really not think of myself as a leader. And, you know, in hindsight, I think that's just, they just called it that to try to get you inspired to come there, which I did go there. So I guess it worked, but I guess it was people kind of suggesting to me that I could be a leader um, and then stepping up. And then I did get into some actual leadership roles in college, but um, so I think it's some of those type things where it's just people talking about it more than me, actually. Uh, I've heard some very inspiring stories on your, on your podcast about people who like, as a nine-year-old, you know, spoke, you know, truth to power. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. I didn't do that, but uh, that's amazing. So. <laughs> well, but everybody, you know, everybody has their own journey and their own relationship yeah. to leadership. And it's, it's all valid, right? It's all yeah. our, our, our journey and, and your journey very much. I mean, I love hearing these stories about people's earliest memory of themselves as a leader, because so much of that seems to inform who we are and how we're approaching leadership today. And, you know, what you just said, my earliest memories are about people almost speaking leadership into me. And it was that belief in me that I was a leader or could lead or would lead that helped me to do it. Right. And here you are <laughs> championing a message that everyone can lead and you have a nonprofit that's committed yeah. to that. And, and so it's definitely a part of who you are. Yeah. And, and, it, and, it, and it continued on because I know some of the genesis of the whole idea of everybody leads was uh, an, a boss early on when after I'd gotten out of law school and I viewed my my practice as very tra or my my career is very transactional. I got a project. I did it. I turned it in, did the next project. And ultimately, I messed up a really large project that was partnered with someone who was even more senior to me. I thought it's their project to make sure they get it right. I'm just doing my part. Uh, and we both got uh, called into the boss's office and yelled at. Um, and uh, and and subsequently, the, my boss, who became a mentor, apologized to me. But he said the reason he was so mad at me, even as compared to the other more senior colleague, was he saw me as a leader, someone that could really excel in leadership in a legal career. And I never thought about that. And so that was really the launch of I got to figure out how to do this. I mean, now I've got all these voices of people saying it. Uh, I got to really invest in myself and figuring out what is leadership and how can I get better at it? So, yeah, I think you're exactly right, David. I mean, and, and it's also a good reminder to us, right, that we can speak and encourage others along their path and their journey. And it's just a good reminder that um, to do that. So anyway, you're right. Huge. Yeah, I, absolutely. And it's one of the things I wanted to draw out is that, you know, your ability listener to communicate your belief in someone's ability yeah. to lead can become their confidence in that they actually do it. Right. I totally agree. And it, it worked for me. And I try to be intentional about doing it for others. Because, you know, sometimes I think I know I'll say for myself, I can have a lot of self-doubt that the voices in my head that say, you know, you're an imposter, you know, imposter syndrome and stuff. Um, and other people, I'm confident, have that same challenge. And so if I can actually from a, you know, uh, third party view, see something in them and really encourage them about it, um, that may be something that really gets them on a new path or a new uh, trajectory. So I think it's really, it's a, it's an important part of leadership to do that. Absolutely. And I appreciate, uh, you know, a couple of things. I appreciate you, the transparency, the vulnerability and saying, Hey, listen, all right. So you're the CEO and chair at <laughs> a big law firm and Hey, reality, I deal with imposter syndrome sometimes. Oh. And if you can, we can, everybody does. And so it normalizes it a bit and say, listen, then the next thing, though, is that you said, all right, I've got people have this belief in me. They're seeing it. And you started to invest in yourself. And clearly, people listening to this show are investing in themselves. But I'm right. curious about your journey in terms of how you invested in yourself. Uh, you studied, 
you do, what did you do to develop yeah. your leadership? Yeah, I, I, you know, and this is, would have been back in the early 90s. I literally like got on looked at the bestseller list of leadership books. And I think at the time, I don't know, it might have been on there for a while, but John Maxwell had a lot of leadership books about the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. Okay, well, maybe that's a good place to start uh, and really just start reading leadership books. Um, and when I could, attending a co leadership conference, if there was one local, um, I did some of that. And then at some point, and I can't remember, it could have been Maxwell, it could have been someone else who just really talked about this idea of how do I prioritize my time and what am I listening to and what am I, how am I spending my time? And I have about a 30 minute commute, give or take each way to work. Um, and I was listening to sports radio, the news, nothing wrong with that. I need to be up on well, both of them, but that's certainly the news, you know? Um, but then they said, well, you could make your car like a, a, a classroom, a mobile classroom. And so at that point in time, it was like, uh, books on CD or, you know, or, or things like that, um, to just invest in myself and have ideas come in and, and invariably something that um, I listened to would have some impact in something I was struggling with at that moment. So it was really just trying to be disciplined about doing those type of things. And then as I grew and as I had other sort of younger people that were reporting up to me or were on a team together, um, I started doing, I guess, one early on, I started doing like a coffee chat once a week we'd get in a conference room and it was literally three of us myself a younger lawyer and a paralegal and we just talk about leadership and at some point i said well i'm going to start inviting in other leaders at the firm or leaders at the firm i was still kind of figuring my way leaders at the firm to come speak about themselves and their leadership journey because everyone likes to talk about themselves and so it was just little practical things like that that were helping others but were also helping me um, and that continues to this day about reading and um, you know, podcasts and Audible and, and uh, you know, going to conferences. Uh, YouTube has so many great, you know, TED Talks, things like that. So there's just so many opportunities. And yeah. uh, I'm, uh, just one of these things where, you know, <laughs> neurons fire and like, oh, I just read that and then put that together. And so I was at a conference last year and heard uh, uh, founder of uh, Spanx, Sarah Blakely, I oh, think it is. Yeah. Uh, and she was talking about and you're in Georgia, right? I'm in our off. We have offices in Georgia. I'm in Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, you're originally Alabama. from Philadelphia, but yeah. All right. So the she was talking about when she was in Atlanta, that uh, you know she said I could get to the office in ten minutes, but she would intentionally extend her commute and take like the forty five minute mm. long way in order to do some of what you're talking about. Wow. To create that university on wheels and the time to get ready and prepare for the day and all that sort of thing and those interesting opportunities that that can present themselves. And, and then I just read an article this morning that the most loathed part of people's day is their commute. Ah, how interesting, you know, and it's one study, all right, everybody loathes something, but that's just that's right. how you were able to take that and turn it into something more meaningful for yourself. Well, which is interesting because I actually, it's funny, our, we have, as you mentioned, we have 22 offices, but um, I'd say 80% of them are driving distance from Birmingham because we're mainly in the Southeast, Mid-Atlantic. Um, I actually get excited when I've got to drive the four or five hours somewhere because I'm thinking, okay, I can get through a book or half a book or this, several episodes of a podcast. And um, so I know that maybe I'm kind of a, a nerd that way, but I mean, I kind of, I think it's a good opportunity and, and something you said, David, I think is really insightful and i think for you know your listeners too is that idea about you know uh picking up a nugget of truth that then you can apply in what you're dealing with uh and, and i find like i mean there's some books by you know professional service firm leaders 
And that's helpful in some sense, but I learn a lot more from people that are in completely different industries than I am. And then how, and then I try to figure out, well, how can I apply that to what we're dealing with? Um, and I think that real growth happens there. So um, I would just encourage everyone to look for those divergent kind of views and in industries, because I think that just that helps me a lot anyway. <laughs> so important. And, and there's so many ways to do it in, in this yeah. day and age. And, you know, it used to be back the, the main way you could do that was going to a conference uh, that might be in your industry or maybe outside of your industry, but in a topic area that we're familiar with and that you get to meet and greet. And that still works and is still powerful. Yes. And gosh, we have so many other ways available too now. So right. I just want to recap some of the practical nuggets you've already given <laughs> listeners here in terms of your, your investing in yourself and the different ways you can do that. So we've, we've got the university on wheels. We've, if you've got a commute, we've got the, all the different ways you can reach out and get those intentionally. And, and by the way, running great opportunity to listen yes. to things too. So for, for the runners, uh, and then the, uh, uh, another one that I thought was really powerful was inviting other people in and you're yeah. creating that learning opportunity for your team, which has so many different great applications, right? They're learning about another part of your organization, right. about a different department. You're all learning from this individual. This individual is feeling good and connected to your team and what's going on there. And, such a great technique and and not hard to do. Like you said, right. people like to talk about themselves. <laughs> right. That's right. You see it. I mean, I'm here talking about myself. So. <laughs> That's what we, and we love having you and we're glad you are. So, <laughs> and speaking of who are we talking to, let's check back in. We're talking to Tim Lupinacci, CEO and chair at Baker Donaldson, uh, one of the uh, top 100 law firms uh, in the U S and uh, leading people across Southeast mid Atlantic U S. So Tim, uh, You've started a nonprofit called uh, Everyone Leads. Everybody Leads. Yeah. Everybody Leads. Yeah. yeah. Um, talk to us about that. What What's the nonprofit about? Why did you start it? What's What do you hope to achieve? Yeah, that's thank you for asking. So the origin of it is really um, I'm 57 and I'm in this role. I've been in the role for four and a half years. And as you mentioned, we've launched a strategic vision that will get me probably into my early 60s by the time we accomplish it. And then what do I, you know, uh, I can continue to go back to practice law. You know, I'm, I had those sort of thoughts. What's next? And I had a I had a friend ask me, well, what's 10 plus five years or plus 10 years? And I started thinking, I've always had this thought about um, uh, and I've, I've, I've invested giving back to the community, things like that. But I thought, well, maybe with the leadership lessons I've learned in this role, maybe I can go work with a nonprofit, do some good uh, and helpful. And he said, well, why don't you start one? <laughs> And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's great, Bob. You know, uh, that, that's maybe you've done that. You have done that, but I've got a full-time job. And he said, no, you need to spin it up now and see if it goes. So that really was the start of it. And then as I really started on, you know, pulling back the onion, I said, well, I've always been passionate about leadership. I've seen how it impacted my life so much, including like we already talked about, people speaking into the idea that I was a leader, even if I didn't have a title or a corner office or whatever. Um, and at the same time, we um, are, as you mentioned, our firm's Baker Donaldson. So we put Baker in front of all our initiatives and we have a Baker Cares initiative um, that really partners with uh, organizations in a particular um, uh, setting or um, uh, cause. And so we've been working for several years now with local organizations about trying to help eradicate homelessness because it's so prevalent. And I mean, it's everywhere, but in the Southeast. Uh, and so um, uh, each of our offices partners with a local organization. And we were going in and every time I'm in a city, I'll go learn more about that organization. We volunteer, we do things like that. And they're doing incredible work teaching basic life skills, like opening up a bank account and 
um, you know, getting your mail delivered and getting skilled to be able to go get a job and all these things that are, and, and how to get to some kind of temporary and ultimately permanent housing. And as I was talking to those leaders, the thing, I thought, well, are you doing a lot uh, around this idea of like now somebody has a job, but there's going to be issues that pop up in, you know, conflict resolution and team building and showing up and those type leadership characteristics. And they said, yeah, that's great. Um, we really, you know, we're not, we're not necessarily doing that. And so just this idea of, can I come alongside existing organizations doing great stuff and just come in and do some basic leadership test le lessons around some of that, those topics. And so that's what's, that's really the focus. It's trying to just add value where we can. Uh, maybe it's individuals, um, you know, as I said, people maybe coming off the street ultimately, but also been working with organizations where uh, individuals are coming back into society from prison. Um, I've been working with a group here in Birmingham that there's uh, some young people, early 20s, who maybe got off track in high school and they're coming back to get their certificates or some, um, you know, skill building um, and doing that. So um, it's been rewarding and just um, to try to, again, try to add some value, not because Tim thinks they need it, but because it sounded like it was a need um, to, to step into. So that's kind of the, the long story of Everybody Leads. Fantastic. I love that. And the, uh, you know, we're, we listeners will know I have a background in nonprofit uh, leadership myself and uh, started my career in that arena and in human service and, and so on. Yeah. And uh, you know, one of the things I love about what you're talking about is the way that you're leveraging the good work that other people are doing right. and then, you know, helping make that an exponential one plus one equals three kind of a thing. Right. Uh, and for anyone considering starting a nonprofit, engaging in nonprofit work, that's the way to do it. Don't go try to replace what other people are doing. Right. Do what Tim's doing and leverage what others are doing and then bring your own, um, bring that to the table and everybody wins more effectively, resources go farther and, and so on. So thanks for thanks for doing that work. That is important yeah. work. Yeah, it's it's been very rewarding. I just wish I could do it full time because it's of so much great stuff. And I have um, I have a college uh, student who's a senior uh, in college who's an intern who's helping to try to keep it moving while I'm managing a law firm. So, <laughs> Well, speaking of the law firm, so one of the things and we heard in the introduction is that you've got this thing called the diversity and inclusion compact that uh, Mayor yeah. Donaldson is doing. And that's one of the things that you are um, driving. Um, what is that exactly? And it's clearly it's meaningful for you and for the firm. And so what is it? Yeah. So um, when I, uh, so I guess it really, again, like you talked about already, David, you know, different people on different journeys and that kind of informs a little bit of your viewpoint and your background. I, I lived in Guadalajara, Mexico for four years growing up. And so um, I always just value that idea that um, of, of learning from each other and different cultures and, and things like that. So it's always kind of been a part of me that I felt like when, when I had a team that had different views, I was always, I was able to serve the client better. So I kind of always had that in my mind. And when I became CEO, we had a shareholder retreat and we had a panel of clients who were talking about the business case for diversity. And there's a lot of writing about that. And there's others that, you know, say that there's conflicting research on all of that. But nonetheless, it was a panel they talked about. And one of the panelists said, you know, before you create um, initiatives or try to think about things, you really need to do an internal audit to see what your people think. Do they feel like they've got significant opportunities? And really it's it's across no matter what, you know, diversity of, in the broadest sense, but what, what do your people feel? Do they feel like there's a place of belonging? Um, and so I thought, well, that, that's really wise. So that summer, it was the summer of 2019, we did a, an internal audit 
Uh, and it pointed out that uh, a lot of our colleagues, and again, across broad sense of diversity, but didn't feel like they had a clear pathway of where they could move. And in our world, it's moved to shareholder and then equity shareholder. Um, and they didn't um, feel like they saw a clear pathway maybe to leadership. Um, and that um, they really didn't feel like they had a, a lot of, um, I like to call them sponsorship relationships. I mean, mentorship's important, but also like somebody who's really invested in that person yeah. and trying to introduce them to the clients and things like that. So it pointed out some things we could do better as a firm, really for all our people. But um, And then around that same time, I'd read a book that was really talking about this idea of a compact, which is not just hey, here's a one-sided initiative. It's really something, this is a, a, a commitment from the firm and we want your commitment that we're all going to do this together and try to build this. Uh, and so I just called it the Diversity and Inclusion Compact and we set some goals to try to, uh, you know, really be industry leading in this idea of making sure we had an inclusive belonging place to work for all of our colleagues in, in the broadest sense of diversity. So we've been we've been driving that forward. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the progress we've made that I think we've never had a more um, diverse leadership team, uh, more diverse shareholder uh, population uh, of people who have um, by just pouring into all, all of our colleagues um, to help that happen. Um, and so it's been it's been rewarding, but it just makes us better, I think, um, again, coming from my journey and my background. So that's kind of been the approach of how we've done that. Mm. You know, we've had a number of guests on the show over the years who have uh, talked about when you're as a leader and particularly as a senior leader, when you're engaging in the, the work of diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging to start with the data and how important that is. And I love hearing the the lived experience case study that you provided of like, okay, we start with the data and, right. and your encouragement for people to do that. And whether you're leading a, a, a department, a team or an entire company, you can start with your own data. Right. Yeah. And that, that was, that was, it would literally, it was like a light bulb went off. I mean, we're literally in the middle of this retreat and this panel's going on. And so when I did the wrap up at the end of the retreat, I said, you know, one of the biggest takeaways I'm taking away from this retreat is that we need to do this audit. And so um, you're right, because sometimes I think as a leader, we think, oh, well, we can come up, we can read, I mean, which is important, read, learn about other company, what other companies are doing, best practices, and then here, let's launch something. But if I miss that particular part of knowing what our colleagues feel about it, <laughs> then that could fall and really it could just fall flat, right? Because we haven't, we haven't directly tied what our colleagues need. So yeah. Um, yeah, well, you're right. That, that principle, uh, there's so many applications for that principle, right? Of uh, yeah. and it, it gets to the fact that you call it a compact, which by which you mean to, we own it together. Right. And anything we're doing in leadership at this point in this day and age, if we're not co-owning it, it, right? It's not. It's going to fall flat. No, that's exactly right. And 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 then it's also another level. I think a lot of professional services firms. I mean, we're a very flat organization. Um, I mean, I, I, there's not a lot. I mean, there, there probably are some law firms where there's this command and control and a CEO just says, do it or else. But uh, this is very much having to build a collaborative approach. Uh, now, certainly, I've got to be decisive at times. I got to make decisions that people don't like, but I've got to have that feedback and that buy-in. Um, and so it does, that, that, that approach of us, we got to do this together. It's so critical in business generally, for sure. Mm, powerful. <laughs> I, lo I love it. The compact we're doing it together. We're talking with, here with Tim Lupinacci, the CEO and chair at Baker Donaldson uh, Law Firm. And Tim, I, I want to take us, uh, as we've been getting to know you, getting to know your work in the firm, and, and maybe broaden our 
scope out a little bit to uh, leadership in the context of today uh, across industries. You're obviously coming from your perspective. Like you said, we can learn a lot from other industries and, and we're going to yeah. learn from, from you and yours. When I'm thinking of a guest we had on recently, Jermaine Hunter, who's the, uh, he's the chief diversity officer at GE Aerospace. And we were talking uh, about some of the challenges that he sees leaders facing today, uh, and by specifically within an organization, so not at the CEO level. Right. And within an organization, there's an increasing level of complexity that, that managers and, and leaders are being asked to deal with. Mm -hmm. uh, we see in Gallup research that it's the first time ever that the disengagement rate of managers is higher than employees, which is scary and, and right. wild. And all of the, the factors, the environmental factors that are driving that in terms of the kind of managers are one-stop shop for everything from mental health to business outcomes to this, to that, right? There's all the different range of things. And the increasing need for empathy, vulnerability, transparency, connectedness, in a world that it's becoming harder and harder to create that connection. Right. These are some of the trends that, that <laughs> some of the challenges along with the opportunities that all that presents. But I'm, I'm curious what you see in terms of any of those challenges, or if you would look at it differently, or if you see some of opportunities within those challenges. Yeah, no, I, I definitely see all of that in our, in our firm and, um, and, and see that as a real challenge because uh, for everything you said, I mean, I, I, think we could have answered that question there that, that, that data support is here about the the complexity the speed um the increasing demands the um uh, of our clients and then internally and uh, and and constantly needing to elevate right i keep talking about that we got to raise our expectations of what it means to be a, a, an owner of the firm and all of that just kind of boils so um, so it's definitely something first of it is is to recognize it and we recognize and we recognize our leaders are tired um, so we've tried very hard um, to, uh, to, to address several of the things you mentioned, like transparency, um, you know, uh, that I share, you know, I've, I've struggled, I've got times I got to just disengage for, you know, uh, uh, from things for a few hours. Um, uh, I've, I've, I've been very open that I've talked to a therapist every like six weeks or so just to kind of recalibrate and make sure is, are there things that um, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm losing track of how I'm prioritizing my time and I'm not spending enough um making enough space for myself to recharge so that I can better lead. Um, we've had uh, licensed psychologists come in and we have leaders meetings in person leaders meeting. And we've had her, uh, she's come in and spoken about uh, your own leader's self um, uh, mental health wellness issues, but also how to lead others. Cause they're also, our leaders are also dealing with people uh, in situations that they're not calibrated to necessarily address because, I mean, they're practicing law, you know, and right. and they've got folks. Um, so we do that. Um, uh, we really do work very hard to build in in-person meetings and as spread out as we are, that is challenging. But we do get our whole leadership group, which is about 50 people together in person a couple of times a year. We have other smaller groups that get together um, just to, to be together. Um, and then we our, our COO and I really work hard to really build that engagement in the office, trying to have people, uh, we, we have a pretty flexible remote, you know, we can work from home some days a week and work in the office. We're still trying to navigate that, but to have things when a, a day that most people do come in and then plan an event together, meeting in the office or some social event. So 
I, I, there's nothing new. Any nothing I said, I don't think it's new in what everyone's struggling with. But it is something I think, um, particularly at the senior leadership, is recognizing that as an issue and then trying to address it. Um, uh, you know, we've talked to um, some of our senior leaders who are really struggling. You know, do they need a mini sabbatical for you know a month and you know try to navigate other things while they're you know keeping up the client work, but maybe step back from the um the the managerial part because all of our leaders um except myself and our COO that are that have a law degree are are still are practicing pretty full time and managing. So trying to help that we another thing and I'm just going through this laundry list because I don't think there's a magic bullet. I wish I knew it because <laughs> I would be doing it. But um we have tried to in in the right you know instances of taking things off their plate that maybe other professionals that 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 have that can handle um, that, um, you know, like, uh, different, different aspects of what we've traditionally asked our leaders to do, um, that they don't, they're not, they don't have to uniquely be the person to do it. So those are just some things I've done. Again, I don't know if there's anything unique there, but it's just being intentional about it and talking mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. And those are some of the things that you're doing and your, your senior leadership team is doing to try to address and help. I'm curious if you have any thoughts, uh, uh, and maybe not about any one person like in your firm, but if you're, we have a listener who's listening, uh, and yeah, boy, I'm in that situation. I sure feel that way. And, you know, as a CEO, what advice would you have for them in terms of how they're approaching the management of their own priorities? And like you said, maybe I'm not, I'm not necessarily calibrated to do with that. And, you know, and their organization is doing what what they can, and everybody's trying to figure right. all this out. But they're feeling that and experiencing that. Have any recommendations? Well, I think I, I can talk certainly about like what's helped me because I mean I certainly feel that too, and I I, I have what I mean I I like to call my daily discipline, just things I try to do every day that builds the framework for me to be able to show up. Uh, energized and and be able to manage those so things just like I, I like to run a little bit in the morning and think meditate pray whatever you want to call it um you know do some reading in the morning uh I try to you know get good sleep uh, I try to eat healthy um and I know when I'm doing all that that just is helping me to be able to show up and maybe to to think clearer and get things done um and then um you know just putting those time, uh, putting blocks of time where you, you're not on. And I know that's hard and you got to make all of this. You have to make work, what make fit, what works for you. But um, I know learning from some of my colleagues who are uh, Jewish about this idea of a Sabbath has really been foundational to me that I try to do a Sabbath every week of off of um, devices and, and email. Um, and, uh, and I, it works for me to do it from like Saturday sundown to Sunday sundown. I can't, I haven't been able to make it work Fridays. And so I just try to do that. And I, am I a hundred percent that I do 52 Sabbaths a year, you know, no, but I do track it. Uh, I've gotten a little bit better at inching it up. And it's like, that's just time to step back and then try to do things that, um, refuel me. Now, certainly being with family is part of it, but like, I love the arts. I love live music. I like going to shows or, you know, uh, theater, um, and so doing that in that time frame gets me energized and can help me really think through what are my priorities and um, have I gotten out of whack with saying yes to too much travel and then that's wearing me down. So um, I think you have to it's it's just being, again, looking in the mirror and figuring out what how can you best build some space into your week um, and, into a cadence where you can spend time on yourself. And again, I get it that everyone maybe can't do 24 hours unplugged. Um, and I certainly 
like our COO could would text me, I would check that and see that if there's some crisis, you know, but, um, but like anyway, there's, the, just... there's the emergency back door if it's truly yes. an emergency, but yeah, you know, and I, I, I hear what you're saying. Like maybe not everybody can do 24 hours, but I'm like, gosh, I sure hope you can. Yeah, <laughs> you know, no, like, that's the, I, I do too. And, and if and, you're not you know. in a situation, I mean, it depends on the nature of your work and, and, and right. Everybody's got different context, but as a, and maybe it's starting with 12 hours, maybe it's starting mm -hmm. with, you know, whatever it is and, and building up to that, but the principle of unplugging our brain for some stretch of time is vital. Yeah, it is. And, and, and again, this, I think everyone's going to be different. It's helped me to like, try to have really big blocks of time where I'm not doing stuff on social media and I'm not anti-social media, but I found myself just scrolling through stuff that wasn't really edifying. And it was sometimes would get me a little bit aggravated. And so again, I'm not, there's so much great stuff that you can communicate and connect. But um, for me, like, I just need it again, that's little blocks of time just to say, or like, even like, I try to shut down that kind of stuff at eight o'clock every night, you know, and just say, I'm going to not look at my email again till the next morning. So, you know, most of that sleep time, but trying to put some parameters where you can. Even um, it helps you me. sleep better. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I appreciate you sharing those with us. And, you know, that's part of the the reality of it is we all have to take responsibility for that ourselves first mm -hmm. as leaders. So that's that self-management, self-leadership that you were talking about earlier. And then be cognizant of what we are inflicting systemically upon our teams. And right. so are we inviting a similar type of behavior or creating the, the environments for our teams to have a chance at being uh, more of a chance at being more human in the middle of all of that? Yeah. And, you know, something you just said that, David, remind me of something. And, and I think I've actually slipped a little bit on this, but I've, I, um, it's you're right. The example that you show as a leader and it can be of a team or of an organization is uh, Saturday mornings are just a good time for me to kind of catch up. I mean, I like to do a little bit longer run and my wife and daughter, you know, sleep in a little bit longer. So I'm maybe catching up, getting stuff done on work. And I realized I was sending all these emails to colleagues, particularly, you know, um, on Saturday morning. So that put pressure on them to feel like they had to reply. Where To me, it was just getting stuff ready for the next week. So I really had to be intentional about I mean, Maybe there is something that has to get dealt with over the weekend, but try to say, I need to stop doing that. I can get the thing drafted and then just not send it till Monday. Um, but I, like I said, I didn't even think about it until somebody kind of, I'm glad a colleague said, you know, this makes me feel like you want me to spend all this time responding on the weekend when I didn't intend that at all. So um, you're right. We do, by the way we live and the way we lead, we put an example out there for sure. And, and sometimes we're just not aware of it. I mean, like, and that's a good example of that. Of You're not trying, you have no intention of people yeah. working on their weekend, but it's just a good time for you. You're catching up. So, and there a thousand different ways we can solve that. Okay. Like you said, <laughs> draft it, send it later, put a timer on it. If you're using one of those programs, put a disclaimer at the top. Yeah, <laughs> working hours that work for me. If you get this at a time that's not your normal work hours, feel free to ignore it until then. You know, like I love after, that. Uh, I've got a colleague in uh, Switzerland who uh, one of our clients and she does that on all of her emails because she will. It works for her to do stuff from 9 to 11 p.m. her time. Nobody's up then. <laughs> Nobody's right. working. Yes. She's a C-suite. She doesn't want people to feel that pressure that but it's just what works for her. She likes that. Uh. So. I love, that's a great tip. I, I'm going to use that because I, I, I had not thought about that. That's great. Lots of different ways to go about it. But it's uh, the the principle here, the practical takeaway is what's the example we're setting? And, uh, and you know, if you don't know, ask. Right. 
Right. You, you clearly created enough culture where somebody had the freedom to say, hey, Tim, this is coming across this way. Right. No, exactly right. Yeah. Is that what you intended? All right. Yeah. Talking with Tim Lupinacci here, the CEO and chair at Baker Donaldson <laughs> Law Firm. And as we've covered a lot of ground here, lots of different aspects of human-centered leadership. Uh, Tim, we got so much more we can talk about, but I, I want to make sure that uh, 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 give listeners a chance. Where can we connect with you? Find out maybe more about what you're doing. Sure. Well, I'm at uh, BakerDonaldson.com. It's B-A-K-E-R-D-O-N-E-L-S-O-N.com uh, is the law firm where I lead and I'm on there. And uh, everybody leads with an S.org is the nonprofit. And I'm also on LinkedIn. So I'd love to have dialogue with you uh, about anything. Fantastic. All right. We'll get those links in the show notes for everybody who's uh, out running or driving right now. So yeah. <laughs> write that down. Let's see, where should we go next? So I am curious, uh, one of the, the questions that we get quite a bit is, uh, as people are in their leadership journey, and not everyone wants to move into senior leadership right. or take that kind of level of responsibility, but for those who do, what, do you, what have you found to be some of the critical pivots, changes, ways of thinking, uh, approaching, the organization, what, what has been different for you as you have stepped into those more senior and obviously the CEO role that you would invite leaders who are thinking about that journey to be doing and investing for themselves? Yeah, that's a great question, David. It's interesting because I, I did not have my sights set to become the CEO. It kind of is a different story, but I mean, I kind of, I mean, ultimately decided I was going to put my name in the hat. So um, it is. I mean, I think the first thing, and we've talked about it some, is just invest in yourself um, to keep getting better, no matter what uh, role you're in, um, to really own it, to really, um, I think Liz Wiseman has a great book called Impact Player, to no matter where you are, be an impact player um, and and do more than even your job description. And I guess maybe to some extent, some of that helped me as I was just trying to really help lead teams or get the organization forward. So I think that's one thing. Um, another thing that's been kind of, um, it's been growth opportunity for me is I'm tend to be on that end of the spectrum about being a people pleaser. And, and I want, I want to just get everybody, everyone to be happy and let's, and maybe most people probably feel that way. Nobody really wants anyone really aggravated with you. Um, but I've really had to work that muscle of getting feedback. I love feedback. I want to hear what people's views are. But recognizing that I have to now have this mindset of I've got to lead the organization forward and what's in the best interest of the organization may not be in every individual's best interest. Um, and so that is something that I guess I've really worked on. And I think I worked on it. I had to work on it even in smaller groups I was leading because that would be the same thing if our um, practice group or our business unit was trying to accomplish things. So um I think that is something. And I think just trying to find opportunities to stretch myself into new areas that I maybe didn't feel as comfortable with. I know one thing with me um, in my journey, I knew um, I did not grow up like with a big uh, finance background. Uh, I represented clients in that industry. So I know enough of the basics and, and, and able to navigate a spreadsheet and profit and loss statement. But now as I was getting increasing, you know, leading a business unit and now the firm, um, I really had to push myself to learn that. Now, certainly the biggest tip there is we've got a CFO who is top notch, former, you know, big four, you know, partner at a big four accounting firm, I totally rely on trust him, but I had to get up to speed and learn stuff. So I really had to acknowledge my deficiency 
um, and and really try to seek learning. So um, those are some things I think I've done. In addition to, um, I mean, you know, you could go, I could talk a lot. Of, I mean, we could talk a lot. I know you do like, you know, what uh, Posner and Kuzis talks about the four leadership traits that most followers want most look to in their leader, including honesty and being forward looking and competent and inspiring. I mean, those are things that I think being able to continue to work and grow in those areas have certainly helped me. Um, and, um, uh, and so anyway, those are just some things that come to mind. Um, but it's really about pushing yourself and stretching yourself, I think. What's the, in addition to all of that, what's the biggest shift in your thinking? You mentioned you've got to think about what's best for the organization as a whole and, and that sort of a thing. Is there, is there a different way of looking at problems or challenges or, or things that you've seen that you've had to develop in all of that? Or is it really, that's it is just. No, no, but, uh, no, I, it's not, that's not it. You know, another thing that I would, what's been very important to me too, for any leader is like to make mistakes, learn from the mistakes, admit the mistakes, ask for forgiveness or, or go through the thought process and then, and then pivot away from it. So I think that's something that builds the trust and, and, um, uh, in you as a leader. Um, but I would say um, one of the things that I really have had to work at, um, and, and it, I even had to start working on this in my career as a lawyer, because you obviously, um, you know, you're not always going to get always the best result or the perfect result. It's this idea of resiliency. Um, and I think as a leader, that's even more important because we're going to have things that don't go our way. We're going to set goals that we don't hit. Um, and you can come, I can come into that and get really down about it, or I can then really try to maintain that optimism or that inspiration forward looking that the, that our colleagues want with truth and reality about here's what we're going to do because of that. Um, and I think that resiliency is something that, um, it's hard because I want to get down. I want to be like, dang, I mean, I can't believe that that person left, or I can't believe that that didn't come through. Like we thought, um, gosh, is the whole world crumbling. But really, um, I have to say, no, well, that's one thing, but we've got this great firm. We've got this thing. We're building this great thing with our clients. Um, that That's a setback, but how can we drive forward? And so um, I think that's something that's been pretty critical to me, particularly I've been in this role, you know, during COVID. And then even the year before COVID, when I first got in the role, I was in transition and our share price went down 8% and it was like the lowest share value. In a while. And so people were really aggravated. So there's been this series of things that you just have to be resilient and you have to um, take the next right step, even though you may not know where things are going to head. So those are some things that I've really tried to step uh, uh, step into, I guess, lean into um, over the last four years. And, and you know, for listeners who are maybe thinking about this journey or, or, or contemplating those higher levels of responsibility, those are skills you develop where you are. It's not like you wait right. for for that. You, you've got those opportunities to deal with setbacks, to be resilient, to to make decisions that are in the best interest of your team that maybe not everybody agrees with. You have those opportunities now and you can practice and develop those muscles. They only get bigger. That's right. No, that, well, that, you know, that's, I think you're exactly right, David. I was just sitting there thinking when I, I led our financial services department immediately before becoming the CEO and um, we had, uh, you know, some of the hardest things I had to do, because that was really the first time I remember really having to have those discussions of letting people go. Uh, and it was mostly younger lawyers that weren't working out or, or whatever. And, and, and that was, it was hard to do that. Well, now in this role, I mean, I've had to ask some equity shareholders to, to leave. Um, and it certainly built on the fact that I had done it 
in a different setting and maybe not as dramatic. Um, but you're exactly right. I mean, wherever you are, learn, lean into it, grow. Um, and, and, and then again, that's why I love that. Um, I'm not, I'm not getting any royalty from the book impact players, but that's what that whole book is about, about wherever you are, you'll get noticed. I mean, I notice people who are real impact players, um, whether they have a title or not. Um, so it's a great book. And, uh, uh, listeners, many of them know partner Karen Hurt. And so she had Liz on her show on LinkedIn ah. talking about impact players. So we got some good uh, uh, for people who want to check that out, but it's a great book. Yeah. Uh, okay. Final question we've got coming up. I'm going to switch gears here for just a second. So uh, in a couple of months here, we've got a new book coming out, Powerful Phrases for Dealing with Workplace Conflict. And so we've got 300 plus very specific phrases people can use to deal with a whole slew of different workplace conflict scenarios. So where I'm going is I'm going to ask you for one of your powerful phrases because, and, and maybe on the topic, or you can choose a different one if you like, but on the topic of making an unpopular decision. So you get the feedback, you get all the input and you look at things and to make the best decision you can make, you make one that potentially maybe it's unpopular and that puts you into conflict. I'm not coming from a place where conflict is inherently bad. Conflict is no, constructive right. when we do it well. So maybe there's a powerful phrase that you have there that you have found helpful, or if you want to take it a different direction, open that, that too. But what no. powerful phrase, what were some words that you have found to be helpful that listeners might appreciate? I love that. I can't wait to buy that book because I think that's a really brilliant thing. Because I'd not, I, I didn't really focus to be in, at that intentional about that moment. But I've had some issues this week that have come up, um, and, and that I've had to talk. Interestingly enough, something, something that occurred that people like on two different sides of the issue were both aggravated about, right? <laughs> but so, yeah. um, which was which was interesting. But um, but what I, I started those each of those conversations with this uh, concept. Well, can, can you help me understand? better your position, because I feel like I'm not really fully um, knowledgeable about the issue that you're a particular issue. So I think, you know, can you help me better understand your point of view? It helped this week because it did help me learn. And it was about, it, it, it's a long story. But, um, but anyway, that would probably be something I would do. Can you help me better understand? I love it. Showing up with genuine curiosity, uh, yeah. which is one of the, the preview of the book, one of the four dimensions of effective, ah. productive workplace conflict, right? Is that that level of curiosity. So can you help me understand? I love it. All right. Well, on the note, the notion of people disagree on the same, I had a professor way back when who I, I still remember him saying, you know, whatever he chose a textbook for, you know, for a particular <laughs> thing, he said, you know, I, I read all the, and if I can get people over here who are upset with it and people over here who are upset with it, I think I probably have a good choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, of course, that's my part of me feels that way, but I don't know. I mean, what I've learned, I mean, maybe I did make a mistake in there. But anyway, so uh, I totally it's agree. About we're, that. we're always yeah. learning. We're all in process. Uh, Tim, thank you so much. This has been an incredible conversation. I have got so much. We've got so many different specific practical uh, takeaways. And, and I really appreciate you sharing some of your journey, some mm -hmm. of your how to's and what's worked for you and, and the encouragement you've given all of our listeners. Uh, really appreciate you being a guest today. Uh, David, this has been a real uh, inspiration of my day just to get to listen and, and talk with you about this. So I really appreciate the value you're adding into me. So thank you very much. All right. Mutual, mutual uh, benefit. And that's what we're all about here in, in uh, leadership without losing your soul. All right, listeners. So Tim has given you so many different things you can do uh, from getting the data when you're on your, you're looking at your diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives to uh, the, the ways that you're approaching when there's conflict. And can you help me understand 
uh, to leading change. I mean, we've talked about, uh, just covered so many, your own investment in yourself and all the different opportunities. And that's just a few. Choose one, get out there and be the leader you want your boss to be. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.